Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And this week, we welcome a singer-songwriter that comfortably marries folk and soul. Hey, this is Christopher James. Christopher James is one of those artists whose songwriting is sometimes overshadowed by his own show-stopping vocals, and that is most definitely a compliment. The dude can write, and man can he sing. Through well-received EPs and a brand new full-length album, Kindness Never Quits, Chris's songs have morphed from folky, sometimes ethereal Americana pop tunes into a sultry, soul-style Americana that gives us visions of an Amos Lee and Barry White collaboration. He's a pleasant mix of styles and inspirations. His black framed glasses give him a look of intelligent innocence, while his colorfully tattooed arms tell a story of vibrant expression. It's always a pleasure to hear Chris perform, and he's a lot of fun to speak with. We were glad to get a meaningful window of time with him, away from the green rooms of the Southeast Concert Circuit, where we usually, and always happily, cross paths. We hope you enjoy getting to know Christopher James. So Chris, where are you from? Uh, originally born in Bradenton, Florida. But mm. when people ask, I usually say Sarasota because mm-hmm. they don't really know where Bradenton is. Unless they go to Anna Maria. I'm like, oh, I've seen that on a sign on my way to the beach. Yeah. So originally from Bradenton, Florida. The main thing I think of when I think of Bradenton is Shake Pit. Yeah, man. <laughs> that is literally five minutes up the road from where I live right now. Is it? Yeah. And that is a dangerous five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Ice cream, cheeseburgers. It's amazing. Yeah. It's ama- There's a couple of Bradenton staples that, like, unless you haven't lived there your whole life, you will have no idea that they're there. Yeah. There's this... Um, Give us the secrets. Okay. So there's this burger place out towards the island. I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, so forgive me. But the grill is about 100 years old. Oh, wow. And it sounds gross. Never washed. Has the same original grease. Best Seasoning. burgers. Yeah, best burgers and hot dogs. Grizz, man. You'll, you'll it's 100 ever. years of Grizz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's Councils. That's downtown Bradenton. And then they make a, a really... Same kind of a thing. Burgers, French fries, shakes. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a Bradenton thing. We just love burgers and So you grew up and, as a foodie. No. <laughs> no. I actually... <laughs> I grew up... Uh, my sister and I uh, lived with my mom, a uh, single mom. And we kind of grew up relatively, relatively poor. Uh apartments uh i remember my mom and i uh the the only food we were really really acquainted with that we could call ourselves connoisseurs of was mac and cheese Mm. i think we could tell the difference between boxed mac and cheese and Velveeta. and you know it's a good day when you got the Velveeta stuff and it's super creamy mac and cheese sommelier (laughs) oh man yeah man i had to go all over the world to get that title (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. and was your mom musical 
Uh, to a degree. I found out later that she played the flute because uh, I found it in like a closet somewhere. I'm like, what? What is this magical instrument right here? And trying to play in it and terrible. And she told me the story about how she was in marching band and she was a cheerleader and all this other stuff and did the flute. I'm like, that's incredible. So nobody really in my family is is musical, uh, which is uh, I'm still the black sheep, I guess, of the family. <laughs> Punk and rock kid, also a musical kid. So in in terms of music in the household, was she listening to music? Like, were you, where were you getting your music from, or, or were you? We the music vocabulary in the home was like Alice Cooper, Journey. Yeah, here uh, Alice Cooper. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. School's out for the summer. Yeah. I literally referenced for the new album. Like, <laughs> Did you? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about gullible. Yeah. yeah I, no, hot for teacher. I, yeah, for I, I heard some of that. Uh, that's not, that's not, uh, that's not Alice Cooper, but you know, no, that's no, okay. No. It's that same. Yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Genre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Journey. She was really into Journey. Um, goodness gracious, man. Uh, my dad was a big uh, Zeppelin fan. Mm. He's the one who got me into Queen. Uh, so just kind of we... We did a lot of good classic rock mm-hmm. in the we, we household. We thought you were going to say Marvin Gaye and Curtis Mayfield. Oh, see, like, I found <laughs> Marvin Gaye later on in life. Yeah. Uh, like, so when I was about eight or so, I started mowing lawns for money around the neighborhood and stuff. And the very first thing I did what, <laughs> with my, my newly acquired money was go and buy uh, Boys to Men's Cooley High Harmony uh, cassette. Yes. And I wore that thing out. Like, it literally would not play anymore. I wore, I played that thing so much. So, yeah. So, it, later on in life, about eight or nine, I started finding myself into, like, the R&B sector of, uh, of music. Did you take a stab at singing that stuff? No. Like, would you sing along with it? or? Well, I mean, to, to a degree, an eight-year-old could sing Into the Road right. or I'll Make I'm Love to curious. You and understand <laughs> what, what you're saying. You don't uh-huh. know what you're singing. No, you try to... no. I think at eight you're still like, oh, girls have cooties. Love is weird. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. yeah, Into the Road was my jam. Every time that song came out, I'm like, yes, I don't know what I'm singing, but this is, I'm feeling this in my soul. I'm, I'm picturing an eight-year-old in the quintessential, <laughs> like, Chris Glasses with your current hair at eight. Oh, man, But no also way. with, like, the pumps and, like, you know, tube socks, <laughs> mowing the lawn with, like, huge headphones on. Well, okay, so if we could edit the image to umbro everything <laughs> and a bowl cut, oh. then we're good. We're pretty much narrowing, narrowing down what Christopher looked like at okay. eight years old. <laughs> so you didn't retain any of those uh, aesthetics then? No. Well, I tried to bring them back, but... Uh-huh. No. The only thing that stuck was my Ninja Turtle collection. That's literally it. Well, that's very, yes. That's, yeah. that's legacy. Legendary. I, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It sounds like you were at least a responsible kid. Were you, uh, were you a good kid? Were you a bad kid? Um, Athletic? It depends, on who, it depends on who you ask, I guess. Well, I'm asking you. Uh, I would say, meh. <laughs> you know, I was a kid. Uh, I did get into uh, athletics later on um, when, uh, when my... Stepdad and my mother got married. That's when um, we kind of came out of this really impoverished life into like, oh, okay, so this is kind of like what middle class is. You know, we're able to to have our own rooms. Like sleeping with my mom in the same room, you know, for a couple of years, it, it gets old. Mm-hmm. Um, so having the ability to uh, do more things uh, because there, we actually had stability, that's when I started getting into... Uh, Athletics, so I, I think I was, 
maybe 10 or so, 10 or 11 when I started getting into baseball. Mm -hmm. And baseball was my heart. I was a huge Braves fan, like David Justice. Oh, heck yeah. Marquise Grissom. Man, that team, that 89 to 94 team. Yeah, man. Lemke, Lofton. Yes. Yeah, all those guys. Yes. Was Klesko too, I think? Yep. Yep. Mark Klesko. Oh, yeah. Man, Javier Lopez playing catcher. Tom Glavin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still have, I have a... We're the same generation. A Greg Maddox. Yeah. I have a Greg Maddox jersey uh-huh. that I wear around the house all the time. It's just like, it's my comfort. But um, but yeah, so I got into baseball. I did fairly well. Um, uh, tried to play some other sports. And nothing really stuck like baseball, but I was still really athletic. I still uh, still ran, still put myself in, you know, in as much athletic situations as I could mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when I graduated uh, high school I started getting into ultimate frisbee mm. uh, and dominated I could say that humbly <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I still love ultimate frisbee it's a lot of fun I hurt my shoulder when I was there like tore a rotator cuff kind of a thing like I played I played to play I was gonna say I most of the people I know that play ultimate frisbee do end up with some type of injury yeah, it's not like a safe sport. Well, I mean, it's a fun sport, like to play with friends. But like, if you take it too seriously, it's definitely one of the things where it's like you're, you know, you're 60 years old and you've got a limp because right. you played <laughs> ultimate frisbee. Um, so it sounds like you're staying out of trouble, at least to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I was still, I would still get in trouble in the neighborhood. Uh, I got one little fight. My mom got scared. Sorry, <laughs> I had to do that. That just sounded like I was starting I was like, to sing the Fresh Prince Bel Air. <laughs> My apologies. No. Uh, but yeah, I, I would get in trouble uh, in the neighborhood. I would. Uh, gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I would light things on fire. Pyro. Yeah, just although I had a, this fascination with. Hopefully fire. not animals. No, 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 no. Never, never, never. Uh, there were always <laughs> humans. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he caught me. Yeah. Um, no, like I lit the side of my fence on fire on accident. I say that to cover my butt. <laughs> Accidentally on purpose. Accidentally right. on purpose. And uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe <laughs> this is coming out of my mouth right now. Um, you but, sure you uh, want, don't want to have a talk with your mom? Before no, you? no, we're grown people here. <laughs> like, it's fine. Actually, what's funny is I told my stepdad later, and I think he knew because much like you know, you have controlled burns in certain areas to. To uh, to reinvigorate the nutrients in the soil and stuff. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with my fence. Like <laughs> this moss started growing in the areas that were burned, and he's like, uh, it, <laughs> "What's happening here?" Yeah. He's like, "Did you do anything to the fence?" I'm like, uh, no. no. Why would of you course, think that? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he was hip to what I was doing. Well, so and on that on that topic there. So you're getting into your early teens here, mm-hmm. rolling into high school. So are you? just exclusively boys to men at this point like what is becoming important like where's music really starting to come in so this is where oh man there's so many and no one's gonna judge you if it's just boys to men and like, i through think, the first 25 oh, man, years of your if life. that was it i would i would just wear that as a badge at yeah. all times i would meet people and just say hey you know what i grew up in uh, just with boys to men that's mm-hmm. it can you tell and they'd say <laughs> baby 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 <laughs> mama anyway um so my musical vocabulary as I started entering into like my teen years and stuff, uh, my stepdad actually was the, was the one who introduced me to a lot of other uh, vintage style music. He showed me Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash. He showed me Roy Orbison. I loved Roy Orbison. Uh, I don't yeah. know why, but he was like one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He's one that like just keeps getting better for me. Every time I go back and listen to Pretty yeah. Woman, I hear something yeah. new, and I'm just like, God damn, this thing rocks. And, and the it's dude, like this balance of tenderness and like high drama, you know. Yeah, like and you could like, hear it in his voice. There was tension in his voice, but it was so subtle too. Right. Like he could sing the phone book, and you would be like, Yeah, I'm in love with this guy. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, it was just the power and his vocals and the range, and it was so unique. Obviously, mm-hmm. extremely unique to him, and so many people try to emulate it after him. But, but to your point, the, just the dynamics in that song alone are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. amazing. So I had the influence from my stepdad. Uh, just this really wonderful collection of vintage music. Uh, Boys to Men <laughs> started listening to like Dr. Dre and and Snoop Dogg, uh, Warren G. Uh, and then, but then on the other flip side, I was listening to like Garth Brooks, the hits, like hmm. Standing Outside the Fire would make me cry. I would literally be like, oh my gosh, Standing Outside the Fire, and just mm-hmm. cry listening to this song. And there's the fire again, your fascination with you know. Oh, I, that's probably what it was. It was just hitting something deep within me. Mm-hmm. I just um, want to light a match right now. <laughs> Most of the emo kids of our generation weren't being... You know, brought to emotions through Garth Brooks. I think it was generally like the emo bands. Oh, totally, a hundred percent. But it came about. So emo came about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to go through the punk rock stuff first before I got to the emo stuff. Right, right. So shortly after, kind of sifting through what I what I wanted, because I was still a, an athletic kid, uh, I got hurt in ath- uh, playing a sport, and I just kind of stopped. Playing in general. It was ultimate frisbee, wasn't it? Obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, indoor soccer. But uh, so where I was living, around me, I had a couple of friends who were in this band. And so every day they would talk about being in this band. This is, by the way, this is the segue where we go into uh, Christopher's musical life. Yes. Okay. That's, we were going to go there. But cool. You no, that's okay. This is just a natural tree. You yeah. can see my notes from over there? <laughs> <laughs> There's a mirror behind yeah, you. Okay. Um, so... Um, there were some friends of mine in the neighborhood that were, they were musicians. There was a bass player that lived right behind me, a uh, singer guitar player, lived literally just up the road. And one of my best friends at the time, uh, Ryan Willis, was uh, a guitar player that literally lived maybe a half a mile away from my house. But we all rode the same bus, and um, <laughs> they would just talk about music the whole time. Ryan and I would literally be in the back singing Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire for like, oh, like yeah. front to back until we got to school. And um, <laughs> they, I used to drum on everything. Just being ADD and a kinetic person, I just needed to tap on things. And they assumed, without me saying anything, that I was a drummer. And I never told them anything different. Well, you can understand why now, having oh. been a musician... A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's, like, obviously this guy's a drummer. I also, too, have to say, I'm just, like, shuddering at it. So Ed's wife is a teacher, and I'm just thinking of if I were a teacher and I knew all of the kids were being dropped off after listening to Rage, the Machine, uh, Rage Against the Machine <laughs> on the way to school, like, just getting just revved up and handed to me, like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd put in my resignation right there. Yeah. No, I'm good. Yeah. At least it was tasteful music, but still. Yeah. Being, yeah. You know. So... They asked me just straight up one day on the bus, hey, man, you want to you wanna be in our band? I was like, oh, that would, yeah, yeah. Uh, why do you ask? I was like, well, obviously you're a drummer. I'm like, yeah, let's be in a band. Make it till you make that it. That sounds like, dude, you have no idea. So a month later, talking about being in this band, never touching a drumstick in my whole damn life, they're like, hey, 
we're going to have to practice. We have a show on Friday. And I'm like, oh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, well, let me, uh, what do you want to do? What, how do you guys practice? I'm like, well, uh, can we come over to your house since you have a drum set? Let's come over to your house and we'll practice in your garage. I'm like, well, I'll have to obviously ask my parents. So mm-hmm. I'll be right back. Let me. We had no cell phones or beepers or anything like that. Like we had like phones. I don't know why I said beepers. Like beep, beep, beep. Hey, I can play in your band. Well, yeah, we didn't. You're not a doctor. One, four, so. three. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I went to my stepdad and I'm like, look, I did something really dumb. And I told him and he goes, yeah, that was really dumb. Uh, but let's go and get you a, a drum set. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. So you're like, you have no idea how much other dumb stuff I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got a list of things, yeah. man. I told my friends we had a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Can we make that happen? Yeah. Um, so we go down to uh, what is now Sam Ash. It was Thoroughbred Music mm-hmm. out in Sarasota. And we picked up this $250 drum set with cymbals. And it was like made out of cardboard. It was legit the cheapest <laughs> thing there. But it like... It was, first of all, it was this incredible extension of kindness from my stepdad. And I come to find out that he was a drummer during this whole thing. He was a drummer when he was a kid. So, of course, he's going to go, yeah, mm-hmm. let's get you some drums. Yeah. And he sat down. We, we, we came back to the house, set him up in the garage, and he taught me four on the floor. And he let me practice until like two o'clock in the morning. And then the next day we had practice with Everybody there, we learned one song, and we played this really crappy church lock-in, and that was the literal start to my musical life. I fell in love with drums, and and that, that was it. So you, you had a drum set on Tuesday. Yeah. First gig, Friday. Friday. Wow. Yeah, I know. How much, how much did you play that night? Oh, I played one song, but then I would play, like, Georgia the Jungle, like, on my toms. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Dum, 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 dum. Like super, super easy. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. It was just the experience of sitting down behind a drum set and being with other people creating something. That was like this power and this, just this experience I had never thought I, I could be a part. Like other people could make music, but like that is so bizarre and obtuse to me. Mm-hmm. Um, did your band have a name? <laughs> yes. It was called Sela, which is, yeah. So we were a Christian band, uh, which is funny because I wasn't really a Christian at the time or anything like that. And they were like, yeah, Selah. Like it means it's like what they say at the end of the Psalms, and like after each Psalm. And I guess it meant like, amen. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Like I'm going to go back to my Rage Against Machine now. Yeah. Like kind of a thing. And, uh, so, yeah, it's funny how that group influenced kind of like the rest. I don't want to say the rest of my life, but influenced that time in my life and that progression of who I was as a person. Because I was just getting into punk music at the time. My stepsister showed me a Bad Religion's Generator album. And I was like, this is, oh, the, ma- this is the most amazing thing ever. Bad Religion will still be like my number one, even though they're like... There's much better music out there, musically. There's just something in me that's like, yeah, Bad Religion, number one band, always. Um, Nostalgia, (laughs) man. There's something for it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so that rabbit hole brought me down to, like, 
rancid and ska music and I started falling in love with ska music trying yeah. to drum like a really fast punk rock drummer and that's kind of where I went band broke up we started another band same guys nope different guys okay uh different guys actually um Ryan my friend Ryan Willis uh he and I went to this new band and they were a ska band called Exit 33 and it was like eh, it wasn't even a ska band like it was a ska band without horns, so like, <laughs> yeah, right. which I don't know how we can constitute being a ska band, but we were in some in our minds we were a lot of upstrumming and oh yeah, the yeah. Unk, 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 we'll whatever. find horns later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We ended up finding horns, <laughs> but they were awful. They were just terrible horns. They literally <laughs> just <laughs> it sounded like Casio keyboard <laughs> horns. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so that was it. That band turned into a like another punk rock band like an actual punk rock band and uh called disturbing peace and we did some stuff with that we um and what what age were you at that time that's i was in high school by then okay so i was i mean i was hell i think i was eighth grade or freshman year in high school when i actually started drumming so this whole this stuff kind of took place within Within the first to second year of my high school. So I think a sophomore, late sophomore, that's when Disturbing Peace started and we just started doing like more stuff. So we played a lot more clubs. Uh, we started playing with a lot of other bigger bands. Um, thought we could take a couple of stabs at being like a touring punk rock band on the weekend. So we tried that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun, like passing out after, not really passing out, but mm-hmm. just playing so hard and so fast that you just need to lay down was the most incredible energy I'd ever uh, encountered. Rush. Oh man, it oh, was yeah. incredible. It was incredible. Especially as a drummer. Oh yeah. Yeah. The catharsis of just hitting the heads like that for a while. Especially if you're playing punk. Absolutely. Well that was like I tried to go as fast and as hard as possible. Like if I could break sticks, th- there were a couple of times where I like bloodied knuckles and mm-hmm. stuff because you're just you're in it so hard that you're not really paying attention to where your hands are at you know uh when it comes to your snares or anything like that mm-hmm. but yeah man it was pretty nuts a lot of a lot of bloodied shows I, it's interesting I, I think as i think of at least people of our generation the generational like kind of bedrock curriculum of you know of of music you know and the stuff that like binds those generations and to still end up like i do nothing like that when i songwrite and certainly yeah. neither do you oh no not at all i think i tried to write a punk song one time and i'm like oh this is dumb yeah i'm dumb maybe I'm... we just weren't angry enough no <laughs> obviously <laughs> i just wasn't mad enough at the government well that's <laughs> then uh-huh. then yeah i could probably write a pretty good punk song come now. back to your punk roots now yeah man yes. why not well kindness never quits would be a really like sarcastic name for a punk album you know? It would. It would be a pretty... Yeah. Well, maybe that's... Uh, Instead, and I'm assuming, we'll get to it, but I'm assuming it's actually very sincere. Yeah, it is. Yes. Most, yeah. yeah, genuinely. So when like, when did you start to write for yourself, and when, when did you start to shift into guitar? Because we haven't heard anything about guitar at this no, point. No, not at all. So I, college is when I started playing guitar. And so much much in the same vein that I, uh, I learned drums, I kind of taught myself how to play drums. I taught myself how to play guitar, which is why I'm terrible at at guitar. You're not, uh, You're very kind. I, I was just going to say, I, it is important that we note that for everybody as you're answering this question at this point in the episode. Definitely worth listening because you are a good player. Like, you have an obvious comfort and taste, and there's certain things that you can do on a guitar that you can tell when mm. people get it and people yeah. don't. Language. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, so it was college, actually, that kind of forced me to 
learn guitar because I couldn't bring my drums to college. They wouldn't let me have them in my dorm room. So uh, I had to sell what my kind drum of set. An awful college. I yeah, know. The man holding you down. Uh, man. Well, yeah, the college is pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, language. But uh, yeah, so I, uh, I brought an applause with me, mm-hmm. which was like a jank ovation mm-hmm. and uh, tried to teach myself how to, you know, how to actually play. And there were a couple of people in the dorm area that like could play super, super good. Um, I will say this was a Christian college that I went to. So the musical vocabulary at the Christian college was very non-existent. Three chords. Oh, dude. A, C, D or E, A, B. I spent some time in, I, I was in contemporary worship for about 12 years. Oh yeah. Okay. My theory is, and I've never heard anybody talk about this and I've never asked anybody about this, but my theory is that it has to be as simple as possible, so that anybody in the church can play it around a campfire. I understand that. You know, I can get that to a degree, and I think that's what it is. And because the music was awful, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it had to it had to deal with the worldview of uh, of a congregation setting. It was very hive minded, but right. not necessarily in the best interest of. It was very contradictory. It was like let's put out, you know, stuff that is excellent, but let's use the simplest of languages mm-hmm. and it's like let's go let's just drone on e for five minutes right. and repeat a phrase that whole time and we'll just sing within the key mm-hmm. and that was considered to be what a contemporary worship song right. and there's well i think that has its place you know and in no way shape or form would i ever tell anybody not to believe whatever the worldview is now i would challenge them to you know Try look out, listening. Look outside. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to look outside whatever your initial circle is. Um, but yeah, just for me, it was a very kind of contradictory experience playing contemporary worship. Well, that's really interesting. So, and I, we'll get back to the guitar no, yeah, piece of that. But I think, you know, this is a important bedrock of a lot of people, like your belief system and how it affects your songwriting and yeah. how it affects your worldview. Um, so I went to a Catholic high school. I was not raised Christian or Catholic or anything. Uh, ended up at a Catholic high school, and I was really fortunate that every year you had to take a religion class. And the first year was basically learning, just learning the Bible, but but like like a book of literature. So just yeah. you should know what's in here. Yeah. The second year was world religions, and that teacher basically started the class by saying, "Hey, you may all be Catholic, some of you may be Jewish. Who cares? You're going to learn about all these worldviews, and you may find that something just moves you." Yeah. And the same thing, you should know about these because. Catholicism is not the only religion, yeah. you know, and that was, I am so grateful for that class because it was very much, and it, and it still has affected my view of how I feel about religion and faith and all those things. So, you know, as, as we kind of talk about that, I think it's really interesting. You were at a Christian college. Yeah. That's when you're starting college. to develop your guitar playing chops. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about, Hey, so why, like you got there with an ovation, where'd mm-hmm. that come from? Were you getting lessons? Were you self-taught? No. And then are you starting to write? I love it. Uh, so I bought the ovation before I went to college uh, because I knew I wasn't able to take my drum set. So it was $199, I think. So I was like, this is the cheapest one in the, you overpaid in the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <clears throat> but uh, so I bought the guitar and I took it with me. Um, but I was listening to a lot of dashboard confessional at the time oh yeah like swiss army romance had come out and i'm like oh my god this is just my life yeah (laughs) and um (laughs) so i just dad gad the guitar and that's that's how i kind of learned the guitar i Mm -hmm. learned guitar on three strings 
and the rest were like, I'm not touching the rest of them. No way. Like, for, let's for the just... non-music listeners, he's talking about tuning down the low E string. Yeah. Uh, so D A D uh, are those top, which is why he said dad gets. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the and the high E. Yeah. 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 And You're the high, the high e. e. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just really easy for me because not knowing how to not knowing formation chord chord formations or even voicings for that matter like dadgad was the easiest way to write songs and i've always been uh so to reverse a little bit i've been a huge poetry fan like pretty much the majority of my life like i used to watch deaf poetry jam mm. all the time like anytime it came on i'm watching that stuff and Heck it yeah, was man. just it just was so vitriol but also so cathartic in their delivery and you know the art itself i'm like oh poetry is incredible so so i took the guitar and really just learned how to do open tuning songs from there the old singer from my punk band who has a beautiful singing voice uh he and i just did acoustic songs I would not sing. Was he at the college with you? No. Okay. No. But I would go home on the weekends Mm -hmm. to do laundry, and we would just get together on like a Friday. And commit blasphemy. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) And uh, Friday, Saturday, we would get together someplace sometime, and we would just sit and write songs. And he was a great lyricist, great songwriter. And uh, so he would sing. I would write the songs, and that's kind of what we would do. We played a couple of coffee shops, but nothing really past that. Um, But it introduced me to attempting to sing because I would not in any way shape or form I was just too uh, I was too afraid to get myself out there but uh, but yeah it was a good introduction I actually kind of learned how to sing if we're going to fast forward just a little bit yeah well no sorry pardon no you can fast forward um, well so when I I was still within the church and I was trying to write songs for the church Mm -hmm. and that was like my my introduction to actually writing songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it kind of failed. There was no real uh, progress within those songs, but it gave me an avenue of practice. And, uh, but writing for myself, it was never looked on as if it were a positive thing. It was, um, I think I tried to play, I, I played one show as a solo guy. And, it was like no, it, let's no. This can't be a thing. Uh, just this from people. This is yourself. No, this is for, from people in my life. Okay. They were like, no, this is this is a little too uncomfortable. Like I played at a bar, and they're like, no, you can't play at a bar. You're a Christian. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gotcha. within the heathens. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of a thing. And I'm like, well, I really enjoyed it, but I was they're also like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was also not. I was not confident in myself as a person. Like, I was still in this very um, uneasy, tumultuous area. A lot of yeah, things. Late that, teens, early 20s? No, nah, dude. We're ta- well, uh, early 20s. Or we'll say early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I was still trying to figure out who I was as a person. Um, at 36, I am much more aware of myself who, as, as, a, as a human being. Um, and uh, I just didn't. I let the influence of other people dictate what I felt was most important for my life. Do you and think I, that was particularly because of the Christian environment? 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. Because I trusted them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, obviously they know what's best for me. And 
the, the posture of Christianity, while I said it earlier, I will not in any way, shape, or form dictate how a person believes. It's a belief of self-neglect. It will tell you less of you and more of of Jesus. Your Christian community. And Absolutely. Jesus, yeah. It's like you are not the point of your life. Mm-hmm. And that was very much a, a posture that I took. So I neglected myself supremely. Moving on and actually figuring out how to sing was kind of on accident because I would do voices and stuff. Like, mm. I would do Mickey Mouse. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. And all of these... It's a pretty good Mickey. Thank yeah. you very much. I've been trying for years. <coughs> Disney, Disney has not Yeah, don't come after back. us. Yeah. <coughs> Finally just bleep it. that out. Yeah. It'll just be like a long bleep. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I just kind of found myself singing uh, by myself, and I was able to, like, hold a tune. I'm like, okay, it's, it's almost like you're mimicking mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of mimic the singers that I was listening to. Um, then I started doing contemporary, uh, contemporary worship. Uh, I would sing on the contemporary worship bands mm-hmm. and I would kind of mimic the songwriters that the songs we were singing. And that's kind of how I found that I could sing. It wasn't until I tried finding my voice that I was getting a lot of pushback from the church, which I, which it's so interesting. The more I talk no about this. no longer sounded like David Crowder. You're well, it was And because you were making women feel <laughs> Well, there's a part of that yeah. that was in the, you don't want to, like, keep it easy. Because yeah. I would do, like, a run just because I felt like that's what needed to be there musically. And it would, I would get pushback, like, no, don't do that. You need to keep it. Mm-hmm. Keep it bottom shelf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep it so that everybody can do it. Mm-hmm. Also, we need to make sure that we're not causing ladies to stumble. Right. Kind of a thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, all yeah. right. Well, so there's some important things in there. No, yeah, But, but one of the things is you're talking about mimicking voices. Yeah. If you're one of those fortunate people that you can hear and you have muscle memory, right? I mean, because that's so much of singing, any instrumentation, but especially singing. Um, but then you talked about doing a run. Yeah. So you had no, no formal formal training. You're just... So who were you... Like, who were you being influenced by that's... Like, that you even knew what a run was, right? Well, Roy Orbison. From well, me. I mean, I was gonna yeah. Say, that's, okay. I was leaning pretty heavily on the on the music that I listened to back in the day. I think at the time I was listening to... Because Dashboard... No. Th- though he's it plays, just and, and yell. I, exactly. Yeah. In, you know, in, a, in an important way that oh, probably absolutely. was a huge part of absolutely. a lot of people's And he's still doing, still doing amazing it, stuff. As he should be. Um, but no, you know, no vocal runs yeah. of... You You're know, not hearing him do like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah like we'll hear you do in a little bit. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yes. But uh, so I was listening to uh, I was listening to City Color, uh, City and Color, mm-hmm. and uh, Dallas Green actually does a, a lot. He's got a really soulful voice for uh, for you know the singer of Alexis on Fire or you know, something like that or whatever. I can't remember the band. But uh, we don't fact check on this. Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm just gonna start making <laughs> stuff up now. <Yeah. laughs> On the dog and pony show. He's a That's great, yeah. he's a great dude. Um, but, uh, so there's another guy, uh, David Ramirez that I just started listening to and he would do these really interesting, subtle runs. And, uh, he's a songwriter for tech from Texas. And I still hold him as one of the best songwriters of today. Cause the man can paint some brilliant word pictures. Um, but he would do these subtle runs and his note choices were just, really really interesting and so that influenced kind of how i started singing too in the beginning mm-hmm. um but yeah doing the runs in church no bueno dude mm-hmm. that'll get you that'll get you off the team apparently so you're doing these sultry runs in church 
and you're you're writing. So you, it sounds like this is around that time you start to shift out of like questioning that that feeling of community, or or I shouldn't say that feeling of community, but that specific community, Christian community. Mm-hmm. And when when do you shift out, and when do you? What's your first song that you write that is not a Christian influence or for the you know? I love that. Thank you for that question. Um, the first song that I wrote as myself, and it's it's funny that I. I word it that way because I wrote songs before, but it as was, Christopher James, as Crow, oh, can I can I copyright that? That's yeah. amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah, as Christopher James. Yeah, uh, I wrote songs, but this was like this was like my real, my heart on a page, self expression. Yeah. yeah, and it was right before my son's first birthday, mm-hmm. and it was it, it's his influence that started it so that's an important thing we shouldn't skip over that so some sounds like some important stuff took place in your life one or two things yeah so while you're in the church it sounds like because you're you're shifting out you're censoring tell tell us a little bit about that time because that's an important thing i haven't experienced fatherhood no it's okay uh we've had some writers on we had jt brown on recently yeah man just had i know maverick his son yeah that whole watching him do that is just the most yeah, I can't help. Like you can see right now, yeah, I just yeah. can't. You can't help back, but just, right? yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Chris is well. He hasn't stopped smiling, but he's smiling larger now. Because so. <laughs> all old, teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Just all how old teeth. are you? You have a son. I, know. I do. Yeah. Uh, my youngest just turned three yesterday. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my oldest will be seven on Halloween, mm-hmm. which is the greatest birthday ever. That um, is a good birthday. Yeah. yeah. So um, in the church, uh, get married, and then. Uh, and you met met through church. Yeah, we actually met through church. Okay. Um, lived a couple of years as, you know, non-children, par- uh, non-children people, just uh-huh. married people. Unfertile husband and wife. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just one of these, like, I bought a dog kind of a thing, you know, trying to, like, establish got, a home. Got a grill? Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't get a grill. Oh. No, I got a George Foreman grill, okay. so that doesn't necessarily <laughs> yes. count. Um, but uh, The practical American It just dream. felt... Uh, now this there's there there are a lot more. It's funny because before this, you texted me, "Get ready to dive deep," and I'm like, "Are you sure you want to dive deep?" Because uh, there are some really deep things within these years. Uh, like I said before, I was very self uh, uh, negligent mm-hmm. in a worldview, and in this time, I was dealing with a lot of insecurities. Um, body dysmorphia comes up. I was de- like, it would take me 45 minutes to leave the house if I felt comfortable enough to leave the house in the clothes that I was wearing. Hmm. Because I would just kind of go through this moment of, no, man, I'm just not comfortable in my skin. I, I'm bigger than, I mean, because that's what body dysmorphia does. You, your, your perception of yourself in the mirror is completely askew. And so I would just, I would have these panic attacks running back and forth. And it, it stemmed from a lot of things within the relationship that I had. Um, but it was also just a very, there were things within myself that I didn't, uh, I didn't confront or work through. And, uh, and I should, I, I need to ask you, like, uh, diagnosed dysmorphic? Um, to a degree. Uh, not clinically, no. And, and I say that for listeners because everybody's got some oh, yeah, yeah, self-criticism yeah. to some degree, yeah. right? And so for somebody that has never been through anything like that or has, has never been around anybody like that, like it is truly another degree of of perceiving yourself to the 100%. point where a lot of the exercises for somebody that has body dysmorphia, one of them, for example, is you think you are – it's like a, a, a small dog that 
doesn't realize that they're not a lot, you know, yeah. that, that, or they think they're a gigantic dog and they, you know, run up. But what, what therapists will generally have you do is trace yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then sit back and look at it and realize how small it is. Yep. Right. Yep. And, that and you put could, things in perspective, like exactly. put things up against the, tr- the tracings. And, yeah. But it's important because that is something that it, a lot of people struggle with it. And f- I have friends that have gone through it. Some people very close to me that have, are dealing wow. with it. And then other people that are friends of mine, they're like, they just don't get it. You know, yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we all think we weigh too much. I'm like, it's not quite the same yeah. thing. It's one thing to think you're to think you're bigger than you are. It's another thing to for your mind to play a trick on you and to actually see yourself, like visualize yourself. Right. It's completely different. So it's like Shallow Hal, but more of a horror movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. If Shallow Hal were to be directed by I don't know M Night Shyamalan, right? Yeah. Um. So I didn't realize I was going through this until after the fact. Uh, talking with a couple of people a couple of years later, they were like, "This is exactly what it sounds like," and they would ask me questions. It was either yes or no. So self-diagnosis to a point, but I'm not going to claim like any clinical diagnosis. Um, but going through these insecurities and, and trying to, uh, work through these particular things, being self-negligent, um, it felt like the next step to save myself to a degree is to have a kid. Like, and I know that there's a bit of, it kind of feels morbid, like, and selfish to say that out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, to save oneself, you need to bring another person into the world. That's really interesting in so many ways, um, you know, but for me, you know, when I think about children, my stance on it generally has been like when you, you just, you love someone so much that you just want more of them in the world. Oh, I love that. I mean, but, and that's legit. I I really feel that way because I think that there are a lot of reasons to have children. Um, You just named another one, right? Yeah. Um, But, but some of that is like, you're now loving yourself a little bit too there. Oh man. You have more of you in the world. And thank you. Like I genuinely appreciate what you just said and my kid is a hundred percent himself but he is he's me like he's so me it's gross like, oh my gosh like you're talking about the older one i I'm yeah yeah yeah, he's key, yeah a little more developed and you start absolutely to see more and more absolutely yeah. and to to be honest he did save me like he forced me to look at myself my relationship with my own dad is not very good you know and uh having a great example in my stepdad to lean on helped in, in kind of carving out who I was as a, as a father, but Kieran overall, he's the guy who taught me how to be a dad. Like he loved Mm -hmm. me even when I, I like, and that's kind of where the first song came from. The first song was my heart wasn't ready. And it's just an honest, I wasn't ready to have a kid. My heart was not ready to, to hold this kid because you feel like the, the most powerful being on the face of the planet to this child. And, and it's then, another, and, to me, I don't want to put no, words please. in your mouth, but it's like another dimension of love once you have a child. Oh, yeah. It's like it opens up. Yeah. It's a new meaning. Mm-hmm. It Well, your expression of love, too. Like you've, because we kind of self-categorize ourselves as humans. We That's just a part of what we do. We are car, uh, compartmentalized creatures. And so we will characterize ourselves in a particular fashion. And then something happens, like a child, and that character shatters because you now are experiencing parts of yourself that you didn't know you had right. because you're having to care and love and nurture 
another being. Mm-hmm. Like, I never thought I wanted kids because of my relationship with my dad. And here comes this little kid. And I'm like, I cannot imagine my life without you. Like, I still think. And uh, actually, so the moment he was born, I had this surreal moment and 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 thought of, oh, yeah, you've always been here. Like, I know this is your first, this is your introduction to actual life, like right here outside the womb, but you have always been here. And it was just this unreal moment of familiarity with this person. But yeah, so to go back to the song, that's what the song's about. Just coming to the conclusion of, oh, this is a real thing. I love you. I wasn't ready, but I'm going to do my damnedest to be the best dad that I possibly can. And so that was the introduction. I think that was like a Friday uh, that I wrote that. I had like a bottle of Malbec at like 2 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) um, But that weekend, um, like more songs just poured out. I think by Sunday I had four songs. I had what is the the Movement EP that's that's, uh, posted up online. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And that was the literal introduction. Now what was... Interesting there is going from, hey, I wrote these four songs. I really am in love with these four songs. I listen to them now, and I'm kind of cringy, mm-hmm. but then I'm not. Oh, you should hear some of the uh, – because we, we always ask guests, like, what, what was your first song? Yeah. Would, you, would you share that with us? <laughs> and nobody's even close to My Heart Wasn't Ready. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Some of them are just I, I so kind of lucked out. Like, yeah. Well, that was like a five-minute Velvet song. Velvet Cocoon, too. I believe is what JT said. <laughs> oh, man. What did he say? Velvet Cocoon. Oh, Velvet I Cocoon. I believe that was, yeah. It was Steve Connolly, something like Uranian Overlords or yes. something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. A lot of drugs there. No, that's okay. It makes yeah. sense. So you're going, through, you're going through a life transformation, which yeah. is important. But now yes. you've got this set of songs. So now you're confronting uh, yourself, as you just said, and now you're starting to think about playing out yeah. something that intimate is a yeah. much different experience than playing a cover or playing Christian worship that everybody's basically has to enjoy. Exactly. Christians around you, yeah, right? Exactly. So and talk they have a little to bit about praise. that experience. So now you've got these songs and you're like, I need, I need other people to hear these. Yeah. Well, okay. So that was kind of a big leap because I found myself neglecting the songs and my love and appreciation and want to move forward with these songs. And just write more songs. Like within that first year, I think I wrote like 200 songs and not having a place. To, Did you say 200 songs? Yeah. Woo. I would, I wrote every day, it, like without fail. Like my, the memo section in my phone was just like, what are you doing right now? Like why all of a sudden this activity? Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, trying to move forward with, with these songs, I found myself trying to make excuses for myself not to do them like oh yeah yeah I'm, I'm leaning back on what was told to me just you know a year two years prior it's like oh yeah it's it's not important it's not important but it was important to me and I had to come to terms with that and I had to put myself forward in that manner and be brave enough to actually go after the thing that I wanted and I think what pushed me over that line was looking at my kid and saying because I would hold him every night and I would he would fall asleep on my chest and I would be talking to him as if he could understand me at a one-year-old and saying you know whatever it is in your life that you want to do I am behind you a hundred percent like you have no bigger cheerleader in your corner than myself like whatever you dream let's do it it's gonna be great 
But then I caught myself afterwards going, why am I not doing that? It's one thing to say to somebody, Mm -hmm. this is what you can do. It's another thing to show someone what they can do. So that was pretty much what pushed me over. It's like I have to also now be an example to my kid. I I was lucky enough to have friends who had a coffee shop that would let me just kind of randomly on like a Wednesday go and play a couple of tunes just to test the waters yeah man and this it was in Bradenton yeah this was in Bradenton it was called Latte Luna uh it is no longer there unfortunately but uh but it was a great coffee house uh great vibe and and uh staff but they would let me come and play and and getting the response while it was good and it satiated that like you know that confidence in myself that I needed to keep going it was also just a great learning opportunity for me behind the microphone not as a singer who's singing these contemporary worship songs at a church that he is now wavering in his belief but standing behind a microphone in a coffee house in front of complete strangers Mm -hmm. who are not forced to enjoy what is being played Mm -hmm. you know they have the opportunity to either get up and leave go to the manager and ask for the sound to be turned down (laughs) request you know, God knows it's free bird. Yeah. That was the whole introduction and from start to finish. And then from there, it's just progressed into writing as many songs as I possibly can. What, what would you say? Well, before I ask a little deeper question, one of the questions we always ask every guest, especially you're talking about writing 200 songs. Are you a lyrics first, music first, or the actual front runner of our episodes, title first writer? Oh wow! Title first. Thank That's you. Yes. People say that. Yeah. No way. Yeah. That blows my mind. Right. Well, if well, I mean, I think I get it because yeah. it kind of gives you a topic when you start thinking yeah. about it. If you think about a title, yeah, it's like writing to a prompt. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like writing to a prompt. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so funny. So, like I said before, or as Danny Scordato said. Well, once you have a title, then the song writes itself. Yeah, you just yeah, you play it. Yeah, you go to the I've relative doing, minor, and I've been doing this wrong my whole life. Yeah. Um, so. Like I said before, I'm a poetry guy. So writing has always been a cathartic art for me. So I I write and write and write and write. Um, but starting to... Is that a mechanism for... It's a me- like a therapeutic mechanism where you're like, I just need to get what's inside of me out. Yeah. Like and then sometimes feeling... it's like, hey, that part that just came out, that's lyrical. So it's both and. I think sometimes I'll come up with a, uh, a progression that I really, really like. Or if I find like a chord that I am just vibing with so much i'm like i love this sound and this feel this tension where this movement uh so sometimes i'll come up with a progression that i really really like or sometimes it's you know it's the the lyric that drives the 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 song you know it's like i really like this topic let's kind of move forward with it does it feel like a minor song does it feel like a a major song that we just sing depressing lyrics over top um, but I actually saw a video about a year and a half ago of, uh, of a acquaintance of mine in Orlando and he does this thing where he will just play and scat over top of it. He has no real form really other than kind of what he's playing. So if he finds a progression that he really, li- really, really likes, he'll keep playing it over and over again and he'll just kind of scat over top to see where the melody might be and where the syllables land within that melody. And then he'll see if something naturally pops up in what he is scatting like if he almost says a word 
he'll go back again and he'll say the word. And he's doing this live, like as part of a show. No, no, no. Oh, I, I wish like, that'd be cool. Yeah, as he wouldn't have to see. practice ever. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. He does this as he's sitting in his room, like oh, as, okay. a, as a songwriting technique. But man, live that would be cool. As yeah, that. that's like the that's just a total scam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a, a lot of the songs on the new record, it they're both and. They're either lyrics first or like too soon, too late. That was a very much kind of a scat song. Like I had this idea of like falling in love too soon. Like our relationship with love is just, you never know if it's too soon or if it's a bit too late. But would you uh, say the music was there first? Um, the idea of music was there. Okay. Like I just had a, a feel like I wanted it to feel like an old Otis Redding song. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I just had that in mind as I was starting to play and, it just kind of came out of all that. It's really interesting. I found the video of, because sometimes I'll either record like a memo Buddy. or I'll do like a video and I'll record it as I'm playing it, mm -hmm. just as I'm trying to figure out the song. And I saw the video the other day and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember this. Like it sounds, it sounds completely different than what it sounds like now on the record. But, but yeah. well, it's, it sounds great on the record. Thank I mean, you. Yeah. That's the whole process was cool. <laughs> well, we haven't done a tune yet. You want to uh, you want to knock one out for us? I can, yeah. Let's, let's maybe hear that one. Chimes will be singing, baby. 
stop running, baby. I should have known. I should have known. 'Cause it's too soon to be. Yeah. quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Ed, I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally. That's true. Wait, you can't really taste a song though. That part's not. That's also true of the food we choose to consume, which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So, does that make Alaska like the upper... Ed, just open the box. If you're into more genres than just beef, ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken... Wow, there's gotta be like 11 pounds of meat in here. Heritage breed pork and special bacon. Special bacon? Special, because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first butcher box. And shipping's free too. Special bacon and special shipping. That's special. Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit butcherbox.com to order. So we should say too, so you've played some shows with Mercy McCoy before. I should yeah. say we've got to play some shows with ah, you before. Uh, now that people have heard Monster Voice... Which just sounds so freaking good. Oh, always has. In uh, songwriting wise, I think it's really interesting because I've known your stuff for a while. Actually, Eric Best, who's someone that we haven't really given a shout out to, yeah, on here, man. but we absolutely should because Eric really was somebody that like really encouraged me and uh, my best buddy Colin uh, to go out and really pursue our current act, right? Our current Mercy McCoy uh, group, and he he actually helped us get some of our first gigs. And he's also the one I'm pretty sure hooked us up with you. Yeah, man. We, we met him through you. Um, so, Eric, if you're listening, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, he put out a, a compilation. Yes. And that was like such a huge, not only a compliment, but I was like, oh my gosh, look, there are tons of cool bands on this thing. Yeah, it was like UNRB, mm-hmm. uh, Danfield was on there. Yeah. You were on there. And so that's how we really first got introduced to you. Like, we'd heard your name and, and um, you know, Eric had, had talked to us about you. But then when we went and heard... I think Runaways is the yep. the tune on that album, and it's yep. just a monster song. Like, it's so good. That's super kind. I think what's also very apparent to me in a lot of your songwriting, there's a lot of love and longing and working through relationships. So I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about what's going on in that time. Because you've been writing for what, maybe, it sounds like what, what, six or seven years of this kind of format. Sure. For a songwriter that is such an intimate songwriter. Whatever you can share about your approach. Like, What's going on in terms of your relationship with the world and how you're sure. in relationship right now? And is that what's going into a lot of your songwriting? I now? love that. Well, you are absolutely right. Love is 
it's a it's the universal language besides mathematics like it is just yeah everybody wants and longs for love humans are communal creatures we Social want creatures, absolutely. absolutely we want to to have community in some way shape or form we find it in our friendships we find it in our marriages we find it in our you know uh, I've got a friend of mine who was just asking me the other day, it's like, how do I just keep being promiscuous? But I'm like, ah, you just do whatever you want to do. Like, but be mindful. Like, please be mindful. Uh, don't just go out there for the well, sake of going out there. I think to that, like, life's not black and white, right? No. There's yeah. so much gray, but there is dark and light. Oh, absolutely. It's, and I think that, I love that you just said that. The absence of mindfulness is, uh, if you're doing something and you're not being mindful about it, it's, it's can be a very dark thing because if you're just doing it very selfishly on for yourself and you're not thinking about the repercussions that come about because of what your actions uh project then yeah man like you you need to own that you need to understand that that is a dark thing or you just need to come to terms with it and Mm -hmm. try to find a balance and learn how to be more mindful Uh, like i said earlier we're in a constant state of flux and understanding ourselves and i think like if there was a word that would describe the last couple of years of my life it would be it would be mindfulness or yeah it would be mindfulness just being more mindful of not just myself but the people around me how i affect the people around me and uh, how we can and then turn affect the people around us so if we are not being mindful and we're just kind of like running around with torches and just setting things on fire well yeah it's gonna we're gonna have a pretty shit life like i mean we're gonna make other people's life other people's lives a bit shitty a lot of scorched earth oh yeah man you can't burn those bridges all day there's the fire and be stuck on the island i told you i'm a pyro (laughs) (laughs) but uh but even okay so when it comes to the song that i just played uh i think that i have such an interesting we all do have interesting relationships with love like we're trying to navigate it trying to understand it where it comes from where it goes Mm -hmm. um i think our um now, this may be a little off subject, but I think our concept of love is a bit abstract. Uh, Seems pretty on subject. Yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? But, you know, uh, our individual concept of love, there's a communal aspect of love that we try to define. Uh, but it's been, uh, within the last decade or so, it's been shaken. And I think that's really, really healthy. Um, because while we have, like, societal... Um, definitions of what love is and what love looks like uh that's not always we don't always fit within that societal mode um so our relationship with love it ebbs and it flows and a song like too soon too late it's that's pretty much what it is our relationship with love is it are we too soon within this particular relationship are we are we fall did we fall too soon are we too much into this relationship that it's like oh crap i can't get out like i'm like head over heels or or did it like is it in our rear view right now you know is it behind us did we miss it is it the exit that i always seem to miss when i'm on tour you know mm-hmm. i just drive past it cuz i'm just not being mindful it, this is interesting too is it something that like you thought about and you're like i need to put that in a song or no, is it like that. i'm going through this while i'm writing it it's coming out now it's a bit both and um because i mean while my relationship with love has been relatively tumultuous uh and again love is the is a universal language Mm -hmm. i think that um as we start writing 
Now, I don't know about you guys as songwriters, but as I start writing a song, sometimes I think more universal than I think specific. So I try to empathize Mm -hmm. how someone else might be going through a particular thing or uh, how it might affect. uh, And usually I I parse those out in verses. Like a verse will, will be something very personal to me and then I'll go, okay, well, what about like the second verse? Like maybe the second verse can go into a different direction if I'm not like just literally putting my heart onto a page. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it all depends on how the song comes out. But uh, but sometimes it's either me dealing with my relationship with love or trying to empathize with somebody else, mm-hmm. trying to help meet them where they are and uh, and singing and trying to bring some sort of solace. So would you say Too Soon, Too Late is kind of like one of those songs where you're you're doing that? Oh, yeah. Shifting from heart on the page to yeah, a, yeah. like a... A zoomed out kind of a yeah absolutely and I think it's uh, because a lot of a lot of people tend to because music is this incredibly subjective thing we like to project our own meaning to songs uh, and I think that's really really important like I've had people we talked about my heart wasn't ready earlier and they're like mm-hmm. oh I love that song I sing it to my husband and I'm like actually about my kid <laughs> yeah. and I'm like oh no did I ruin your experience with this song she's like no my husband's three <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this yeah. I mean he acts like a yeah he yeah. acts like a three-year-old yeah. and I look at some of your songs here because I think one of the other ones off the new record which we'll talk about here uh, we definitely want to get to the new record so like start over mm. for example mm-hmm. but just it, having known you now for years there's a and I'm sure listeners can already tell from talking to you but like there's a very forgiving nature to your personality mm. right you're you are empathetic, and um, I can almost hear just the title start over, like, in a conversation where you're with somebody, I can just see you be like, you know what, this didn't start like you meant, let's just, <laughs> I'm going to do you a favor, rather than just have awkward, like, I'm going to say it, like, let's just start over. Yep. Yep. We're good. Yep. Let's give it another shot. That's literally, that's literally what the song is. And it came about uh, thinking about the relationship that I have with my mom, because we had a falling out um, a couple of years ago. And I don't know. I was just being a dumbass, just being a selfish kid, I think. So it was all you. Oh, well. <laughs> I will say yes. I will say yes for the sake Sorry. of my mom maybe listening. I'm not going to make <laughs> no, you it's okay. it's publicly okay. dis We are mom. in a much healthier place now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but just thinking of, like, the, the, first, the first verse is sitting on the front porch waiting here, you know, to beat the street light and head on home to you, like being a kid mom was like you be home when that street light comes on you know scuff the feet hard on the rug mm-hmm. uh your arms wide open hold on tight to you i got my mom's uh my mama's heart but my daddy's mouth mm-hmm. it's a great line i thank you it's mm-hmm. one of my favorites um you and me weaving like we're just gonna fight and my mom and i are a lot alike we're very strong-willed um and we have our opinions, and uh, but we, we can work through things. And I think at the time of our fallout, it was just me not willing to work through or to, to be in a place of, of empathy, like understanding where she's coming from. And a few years down the line, especially writing songs, it's like remembering then, because I think we hit like a Mother's Day one time, and, and we were just talking about this fallout. I'm like, I haven't thought of that in years. And so sitting in a car, just kind of remembering all of these things, these lyrics are coming 
to me, you know, what would you do? Let's just start over. I wasn't necessarily kind to you in this particular moment. Can we just start over and maybe we can fix the bad parts of this relationship? But then from there, it extended to the universal aspect of going, okay, well, this this fits in relationally with our significant others. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? We have a bad start in our marriage. Can we start over on this? We had a bad start in our, you know, relationship as lovers. Can we start over on this? Just flunked a test. Yeah. Can we start over on this? (laughs) I literally Christmas treed this whole thing. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of where it came from. So just the fact that you would, uh, I, I take that as a compliment, just the fact that you could see and understand that. So, but yeah, again, it's our relationship with love and how we work through that. Can we start over? Can we hit the reset button? Ah, you want to do that one for us? Play, uh, it would be interesting to do because I play it 100% different on guitar. I play it almost as like an Americana tune. Do it up, man. Front porch waiting here, beat the street lights and head on home to you. Scuff the feet hard, let the dirt fly. Arms hung open just to hold on tight to you. Heart, but my daddy's mouth let the words loose to be heard by you Start over, yeah, yeah. 
that open Can we start over That's a real tasty yeah. final chord Thanks. there. That's Thank awesome, you. Man. Yeah. So I play that. When I play solo, I play it like that. Mm-hmm. But on the record, it has this like supremely mm-hmm. soulful, sexy vibe mm-hmm. that goes on. And what's funny Very is white. that's how I've heard it <laughs> since the very start. Yeah, man. Yeah. We were talking about this before you got here. It's t- we, we should get into the new record because I am excited to talk about it. I know Ed is too. But it's... The record sounds great. Thank we, you. That was one thing we both were like. We know your stuff. We really enjoy your songwriting. If anyone's seen you live, we certainly have. It's so much fun to see live because <laughs> there's so much life to your voice. And and we, you're generally solo. I'd yeah. say you're playing solo more often than you're playing with the band. Yes. And the band's great. Thank you. But your solo stuff, there's a lot of dynamics in the way you're playing too, which you can hear. But the the record sounds like, yeah, like Barry White and Amos Lee got together. <laughs> Easy. And we're yeah. like... Let's do something real tasty. <laughs> I'll take that all day, man. And That's a great compliment. Yeah. And Thank we you. We were talking about it before you got here, and I was like, now that you're here and we're talking to you, and I hear that drums was like your first instrument. Yeah. Like, are you playing drums on this record? On like, a lot of the songs I am. Well, you played yeah. almost everything, right? Yeah. Uh, Which is incredible because it's, again, it sounds great, but everything's really tight. It sounds like a great band. Thank like, oh, yeah. man. Well, thank yeah. you. I make a great band. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, you're saying is when you play with yourself, you're at your best. Oh, that's weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure, that came we'll out wrong. Yeah. What no, I meant to say. Well, I followed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, drums, drums was my first love, and I played a lot of the drums on here. Um, I did get some help from the guys in the band. Um, we actually went back and recorded some of the other bass lines because the my bass uh, player, Andrew Glasgow, is a monster bass player. I was going to say, you want to introduce the band real quick? Yeah, part? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Damon uh, Jeffrey Owens plays drums, and he is just incredible. One of the kindest, most smart-assy people I've ever met in my life. Um, but just a sincere joy to be with and around. His musical language is incredible as well. Um, Andrew Glasgow plays bass, and again, like I said, he's a monster bass player. He's also trying to teach me music theory right now, and it's like blows my mind how much knowledge is up in his up in his head. Like, I mean, because he uses it too. It's not just like, oh yeah, like there's all of these seconds and sevenths and fifths and ninths and eleventh. Right. Really and, good bass player will use. Oh that. man, yeah. he and he is that, and he's tasty. He's not like gonna throw out all of these like weird runs or anything like that. He's just genuinely going to play these really smart. Bass lines, uh, and same thing with John Hetherington, who's on keys. Again, incredibly intelligent when it comes to music theory, but just in the song, it's like if it doesn't need to be there, he's not going to play it. He literally feels 
that uh, whatever the song needs in that moment, he's he he will play on the keys. And he's like he's been with me the longest out of all the guys. He's the ones who uh, he's the guy who introduced me to the to uh, Damon and Andrew. And uh, I just yeah I love the kid. He's are just a great dude. Are these all considered down in, in Sarasota? Yeah, they're Sarasota? just yeah. yeah they're Sarasota jazz cats that are like literally tearing it up. Yeah. That jazz background is so important. Oh, I, I think some of my favorite players locally, even if they're doing something totally different now, no, like when you find out later, like they have a jazz, there's a jazz yeah. base there. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, okay, that's that makes sense. I think jazz forces you as a musician to learn music. You know, to learn mm-hmm. the theory, to learn the vocabulary, to learn your instrument, and like, and there's a there's an it's kind of almost paradoxical because there's an element of precision. Mm-hmm. And tightness, but then you also have to be ultimately so loose. Oh yeah, and ready, you know, to adapt. Yeah, to you're the other so players. tight that you can loosen that thing up, and mm-hmm. the moment that it needs to be, yeah. you're there. Right. Yeah, man. How about electric guitar? Um, I saw a video of a guy laying tracks on a Strat on um, one, one of the cuts. Is that yeah. a guy from the band or? Is That's that... actually um, Adam Sliger. He's one of the producers. Okay, of, I was going to uh, ask about that of the too. album. Let's give a shout out to the studio. Uh, yeah. Studio is called Pioneer Sound in Castleberry, Florida, okay. just a little north of uh, of Orlando. All yeah. good. It's uh, Adam Sliger and David Whitmore, and those guys are like they just know their stuff, and they're so chill and so relaxed. And they their goal is to make whatever project that you are working on its absolute best. Mm-hmm. So they have tons of different genres of music that they're working on. They're not just stuck within mm-hmm. you know whatever the hell I'm doing. They want a challenge, but they also want to make sure that they respect the art that they're making with you, and they want to make it its best. Would you say you guys kind of co-produced oh, yeah. this together? Yeah. So you came in, did you have a, a vision for every song and instrumentation and how you wanted it to? So when I write, I, I write as a full band. Mm-hmm. Like as I'm playing it, I'm hearing other parts in it. I'm hearing piano parts, I'm hearing drum parts, I'm hearing how the rhythm is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hearing lead parts and backing harmony and all this other stuff as I'm playing it as a solo guy. But when we started recording, I, I had a vision for each one of the songs. Mm-hmm. Some of them, um, like I didn't, they were all very, very loose. So we absolutely co-produced this whole thing. All of us did. Um, there's a there's a part in Start Over. It's just this line that kind of runs down the the notes and it's it's like a waterfall kind it's of a keyboard. Effect. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Adam was like, I just hear this in there. I'm like, are you sure? I'm not really sure about it. And then he played it. I'm like, I don't know. And then I sat with it for like an hour. And I'm like, I can't not not hear that in there. Absolutely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's, I think, uh, this this was my first experience like working with other people in a studio Mm -hmm. to to carve this thing out. Uh, I did my first EP all by myself. Uh, I did two of the songs on the second EP all by myself. And then we went to... uh, uh, Burn Orange Studio in uh, Bradenton to do the rest. We did it live and then just tracked everything else. Um, and this one, we literally attacked each song because I work a nine to five and I'm a dad and just trying to do my best. Once a month, we just focused on one song to try to get that song down to what it needs to be. Uh, a lot of parts were flown in, like there are some uh, string parts and there are some horn compositions, and those parts were flown in afterwards. Uh, and put into the uh, into the mix. Flown, by the way, sorry if you're listening, is uh, they're just compositions done in other parts that are sent through the internet. The mm. power of internet. 
interwebs and uh, and put into your your Over sessions. Yeah. yeah. So like all the strings are done by uh, Jack of All in uh, Nashville, and they're just incredible. Like it's two violin cats that are or mm-hmm. uh, violin and a cello, and they literally sound like a whole orchestration. Like it's just nuts how yeah. talented they are. I was going to ask about that. The horns too. Uh, they were a. Uh, so the horns, there are two composers for the horns. Um, there are horns on Start Over, mm-hmm. and there are horns on Too Soon, Too Late. Mm-hmm. Those were done by Dan Schaefer in Bradenton. Okay. Uh, he was in the band The Dram. Uh, and then the horns on Love You Better and We Ain't Never Been the Same were done by Ronnie D in Tampa. Yeah. You can kind of tell that Ronnie D did them because mm-hmm. they're very, they're Ronnie D funky. Yeah, we know Ronnie D. <laughs> yeah. So was that cut recently? Was it at All Access with yeah. uh, Doug Johnston? Ten weeks ago. Yeah, those were cut. So it's really f- still fresh. You can still it still has that smell on it. Yeah, Ronnie and Doug uh, mm-hmm. opened that studio up just a couple of years ago. Yeah, man. Like, um, and, and Doug's like a Grammy nominated. Yeah, uh, I know that engineer. trips me out. Yeah, he sh- he uh, he showed me a mix. Of uh, something uh, Ronnie was working on, and it literally one of the best mixes I've ever heard mm-hmm. in my life. Like, great, brilliant. So, is the album finished? 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 Mix, That's mastered, awesome. sent off to press. I'm expecting vinyl pressings to come in on Monday to CDs and vinyl. Yep, CD and vinyls and uh, digital. Did it start life not creatively, but as a Kickstarter? Um, no, like, that came I was going to ask if later you funded on. it. Uh, through, so yeah, through crowdsourcing, uh, crowdfunding. Uh, so when I started the project, uh, everything I make in music stays in music. Mm-hmm. Like I work a nine to five so that I can make sure my kids are provided for, mm-hmm. bills are taken care of. So I was saving money from the solo shows and the three four hour shows that you would do, the gigs that you the you know those kind of gigs that you have to do uh, to pay for that month's recording, mm-hmm. and I would just build those up. And then whenever I had enough money, I would make the appointment. We would book it. I would make sure they get the money then, and like it's mm-hmm. all taken care of. So I think we got about halfway through, and I realized, well, it's a couple take of ten years. <laughs> well, a couple of things. The first thing to kind of really turn into uh, into a crowdfunding uh, project was I had to go in for surgery. Oh yes, and uh, right. I had uh, two disc herniations and two disc bulges that were pressing my spinal cord up against my my spine mm-hmm. and I was losing feeling in my hands dexterity I wasn't able to play guitar as well I was starting to lose feeling in my my feet mm-hmm. and uh, it was really freaking me out was, was this, this from ultimate frisbee I was just going to ask <laughs> yeah this ladies and gentlemen is called yeah. a callback yeah. <laughs> uh no no well it very well could have I don't know I think it's just wear and tear mm-hmm. uh but I came to find out uh, later, after having an MRI and actually having doctors look at it, that I have a degenerative bone disease. Okay. Didn't know that. Went in, had to have the surgery in January, and uh, but before then, it was like, oh my gosh, like what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't play drums anymore. So Damon came in. I couldn't play bass anymore. So Andrew came in. They were helping me out and uh, just preparing for all of this stuff and mm. it takes time you know mm-hmm. mri take time trying to book doctor's appointments those things take time so mm-hmm. it just felt like i was living in this chronic pain of you know not being able to move my neck and losing my f- fingers and not being able to hold cups or you know anything like i couldn't pick up my kids and that was the most i was just emotionally painful and uh 
so once I had the surgery in January of uh, this year, 2019, um, being laid up in bed for a week Mm -hmm. and not being able to go to work or anything like that. I was only in bed for a week. Like I had to go back to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, It let me think about what does the, what does this look like musically? Am I going to be able to sing? Because the doctor was like, there's like a one in 1,000 chance that you'll be vocally paralyzed. Uh, It did scare the ever-living shit out of me. Because, especially when I asked him how many surgeries he did, and he was like, oh, it's one in 1,000. And he has already done 950 (laughs) surgeries. And I'm like, so you mean it's one in 50 now? Like, you haven't met that that quota Mm -hmm. of uh, one in 1,000. Um, but he was, and he was like, no, it was the second guy. Yeah. He was like, no, I already got it. It was the very first one. Got it out of the way real quick. (laughs) But he wasn't a, he wasn't a singer. (laughs) But, uh, but then like really doing research. And I think that messed me up before doing the surgery. Cause I'm like, dude, it's always your friend. No man. It's like web MDing. What you have is a cold. You're like, I've got cancer. This is awful. You know? (laughs) Um, but just looking at the process, cause it's a pretty hard process. You know, you're, they take this medieval-looking contraption and they move your esophagus and throw it over, and they get in there mm-hmm. with their hands and do surgery, and that's what they did. And I'm like, okay, great. So I was playing it cool for the most part, kind of compartmentalizing how I felt about it mm-hmm. up until I was laying in the bed mm-hmm. for surgery that morning, and then it like it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, okay. I need to make peace with the fact that I may wake up and not have a voice at all. I need to make peace with not being able to sing anymore. I need to make peace with just however this is going to feel. And I do get vocally tired a lot quicker. And I have a shelf. Like, I'm finding that I can get past the shelf. But I think it's just, I'm six months, seven months past surgery. um, And they gave me a year, like... You'll be Mm -hmm. better in about a year. But I'm just, again, I'm much like my mother. I'm very impatient Mm. and I'm (laughs) hard-headed. So I just want to get it done. I want to get it done now. Um, So having the surgery and going through all that and having to like really analyze how I felt about music and like what this is going to look like. The weekend before surgery, I literally went in and did all of the vocal takes for the remaining songs uh, wearing a neck brace. And I'm like, this is just what I have to do. Mm -hmm. But... uh, but yeah, so well, finishing con- it was congratulations, thank you. man. Oh yeah, it's like a hundred percent success. Thank like, you. Yeah, <laughs> it has. Yeah, it's making me happy. Well, I'm happier things making you happy. Something made me happy. I want to share about you. So oh, please. Recently, so I, I'd been watching on social. Obviously, that you were going through the surgery, and then you were starting to get back out and gig a little bit. You'd so you get out, you sing one song, test the water, see how it felt, mm-hmm. right? And then recently, you opened a show at Crowbar here in Ybor City oh, for yeah. um, Stephen and Christian, guys from uh, Amberlin and Acceptance. And I hadn't seen you since you'd had the surgery live. And so I was kind of nervous for you because I'd seen that you were kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of getting back out there. <laughs> like, I'm trying to get the endurance back vocally. And you just, like, brought the house down. Ah, that's very it was kind. No, and for everybody that was there, they were looking around like, this is awesome. That, that show was actually very empowering because I think that was the very first show that I felt like I could go above that shelf that that the surgery kind of like, I wasn't able to get above it. Like I couldn't, my falsetto wouldn't, I was stuck at this one note and I couldn't get over it where when I wrote it, there's a note over the shelf and I hit it that night and I went, this is amazing. Yeah. Like have I just walked ever, away going, yes. Have you ever done formal vocal training? No, but or I am like literally, I've literally been in talks with the, like the last two weeks or so with people who are like, maybe you should 
think into like actually mm-hmm. doing some proper stuff so that you have good form and so that you take care of your voice. And, yeah. 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 yeah, but I think there's something to say too for there's something to be said for the the quality of a room that's behind you like that. You know, I thought that was right. And, and the crowd, Amberlin's yeah. fans are yeah. like that. You know, oh, they're man. a very supportive, loving group, yeah. and and they've cultivated that. But that room was with you, and I didn't get the sense that everybody in there knew you either. No, you know? and it wasn't like it was a room full of you know Chris acolytes. But yeah. It was just people that loved what you were doing and were behind you and came open minded to hear that. Yeah, but. And I but felt that. That pushed you, you know, yeah. and you're like, I'm going to do it. Like, and that's totally me. like where, that, that's exactly how I felt on stage behind the microphone. It was like, the first song, the first song always goes out, and I have the jitters, and I'm like, oh, I just got to get them all out. Mm-hmm. And the first song, it usually just does that. I'm like, good. And after that song, I'm like, okay, I've still got a little bit of the jitters. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but they're with me. Well, and I think we talk about feedback loops. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mentioned James and I, who's on the last episode of this talked about how important it is to curate the people in your life that are hearing your songs and yeah. you know so not everyone's just telling you like this is great and yeah. they can tell you like this is terrible or yeah. like that doesn't make any sense or that lyric is offensive yeah. you know um, <laughs> or that lyric is <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended by the lyric uh, but I think that feedback loop is so important because you Ed was asking you about it but getting to the point where you were doing a crowdfunding thing to bring it back to that and talk yeah. a little bit about no, that please. because you had to be very open about that, and you posted about it to try and get people to understand how important the record was and what it meant to you and how yeah. much you appreciated them you know, supporting you. Yeah. Um, that in itself is a really incredible feedback loop. It really is. It really is. Because I think a when quantifiable I, one. Thank, yeah, literally. Um, I think when I first started, I didn't want to start it because, A, I feel uncomfortable asking for money. I just do. Most people do. And, B, is it going to strengthen the community that is already kind of with with me or am I going to find myself with $400 in my Kickstarter from my mom you know like is that what it's going to look like am I going to identify with the outcome of this Kickstarter and I didn't want to I didn't want it to be that and I think that's why I was so open with it when I first came out and and said hey I'm I don't uh, so I think I did, I can't remember. I did it on on a Tuesday. That Friday, uh, the Friday beforehand, I was on my uh, I was on a call with my friend Brian Sutherland, who's originally from Lakeland, moved to Nashville. Incredible songwriter, by the way. Just throwing that out there, like legit. Like Brian Sutherland's the man. We'll look him up. Um, please do. Um, but uh, he pretty much just said, "Just do it. Like, just do it." Like, what do you have to lose? Like, genuinely, is it, it's going to help you. There are no negatives here. Like, so what? You don't make it. So you don't make it. You don't get any money. That's fine. It just mm-hmm. takes a little bit longer for the record to be done. But I was have, that was one of the most humbling things uh, during the process, like when it first kicked off, is seeing the names come in and saying, they, they're supporting this? That's incredible. Because I never would have thought. Or... I didn't realize that they believed it. I mean, because we finished at like 122%. Like that was just, I remember just crying in my room going, this is incredible, this is unbelievable. Like I didn't, this is the last thing I would have thought about. Um, But uh, it did strengthen me in the end. But yeah, it was a heck of a just encouragement to see how many people and what kind of people and how broad, like where they came from, like Seattle and New York and 
California, Florida was huge. Like it's just amazing to see where your music can go, even when you're not, even when you don't think it goes that far. Like it really does have an extension and a life of its own. Well, you might say people's kindness never quits. So do you want to do you <laughs> want to talk a little bit about the, the sure. title of the record? Yeah. So I didn't have a record title when I first started doing this. I just wanted to, I just wanted to. Uh, to make these songs and to see kind of what came about it. I think the original, I think the original um, name for the record was like start over. It was just like a name of a, a song. And as we were recording these songs and feeling what the culture was doing, um, just socially and individually, there was just this supreme absence of, we've, we've become a very reactive culture, which I think is important. Um, because of unmentioned things that are playing themselves out. We know who he is. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but just seeing how um, kind of divisive we've become. And, and again, we are human. We are fallible. All of us are able and prone to falling into, you know, these vitriol reactions. Um, but being a reactionary person necessarily isn't always a good thing. It's good, but it's not, it won't be, it's not always beneficial. Um, but the, if we can approach people, approach ourselves with kindness, no matter who they are, um, I'm not a big fan of the unmentionable person. But he's still a living being. And even though I don't... Arguably. Are, yeah, exactly. Depends on what he's filled with. Yeah. Whatever's inside Twinkies. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, there's still an amount of kindness that we need to hold. Because it's not just the reaction that we have towards things or people. It's also what we, how our reaction affects ourselves. Because if we allow ourselves to be continually reactive, it's going to change something in ourselves. In- in my worldview, I would say it probably for the bad because we can be better. Um, but if we approach people, situations, circumstances, even ourselves with kindness, it will come back. It won't quit on us. It's not going to. It's an. It's not a fuel that will dissipate and just be gone. Uh, I ended up writing a song for it and about it. That's pretty much just talks about it and it opens out it opens up the whole album just trying to set the tone of we can be immortal or we can die young you know we can drown in treasures or we can absolutely have none we could be the poorest thing in the world but you know the one thing that we can remember in each one of our situations and circumstances is that kindness can be an extension of us and it won't quit it will come back Chris, you feel like doing another one? We don't want to strain you. Think, uh... Uh, let me try. Yeah? Let me, yeah. Let's do it. Why the hell not? You know, let's do uh, Didn't Mean to Fall in Love. Because we're at the end. Yeah. Oh, okay, We're cool. going to kind of go out on... This on is this, great. So. I don't yeah. have friends, so this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, before you play it, man, no, please. let us just say, dude, we love you. We love the stuff. We got to hear the tracks ahead of time. Thank you for sending those. Yeah, that's we, my uh, privilege. made us that much more excited. For cool. everybody listening, if you haven't seen Chris, go see him. We... You do yourself that favor. If you have seen Chris, you know exactly what we're talking about. And if you're a musician and you haven't got to do a show with Chris, I definitely recommend reaching out to him. Set Please. something up because 
if you want to have a show where you feel both extremely reluctant to get on stage after him, but also very motivated, <laughs> or before him, uh, absolutely. We thanks for all the times you played with us. Yeah. All the future times, I hope that we will play with you. Yeah, all let's support, do it again. Love, man. It's gonna be and, fun. And thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me. One more question: Do yes, you sir. have an official release date? For uh, the... September thirteenth is it's out in the world. Pre-sale mm-hmm. is August thirtieth. And are you gonna do like a release party? You know, I tried to set one up, but with all the spinning plates, it just became a bit too anxious and mm-hmm. hard. So I'll probably plan something for before the end of the year. Maybe Song Divers can host one for you. I like I like what you're saying. Yeah, I like what you're saying. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. We'll play through the whole record. Well, Chris, thanks again, man. Congrats yeah. on the record. Thanks, man. Yeah, dude, we'll do it again soon. <laughs> all right, this is uh, Didn't Mean to Fall in Love. myself at the start Knew I should have got my heart Knew I should have known that day Didn't mean to fall in Didn't mean to fall in love It's too late to hide it Let's not unwind The tether is tied It's too late to hide it Don't try to fight it I don't know how But we'll figure it
We could be immortal. We could die young. We could drown in treasures. We could have none. We could trip and fall in love and hope for it to fade. One thing we could remember. That kindness never quits. You've been listening to Song Divers. Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. Songs we heard in this episode are Love You Better, Too Soon, Too Late, Start Over, Didn't Mean to Fall in Love, and Kindness Never Quits. To hear more of Chris's full catalog, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, and all the places you go to get your music on. To keep up with Chris, check out ChristopherJamesMusic.com. Christopher is with a K, K-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R. And make sure you keep up with Chris on his especially social media, Facebook, Instagram, and all the rest of the interwebs. And if you like what we're doing... It'd really mean a lot to us if you could rate us and give us a review over on iTunes or whichever platform you're getting your podcast from. Peanut butter, what do they call Dongs? Kongs. Kongs. Dongs. Peanut butter Kong Kongs. divers. Dong Kong di- Kong divers. Dong Kongs and yeah. song divers. Donkey Kong divers. <laughs> <laughs>